Hello, and welcome to Psychotherapy. Today's episode is brought to you by the letter R. It's my Sesame Street impression that was going to go a lot further, but then I realized it was lame. So this is Psychotherapy, and this is Jet Dunlap, the host of Psychotherapy. Did you know that? That I'm the host? Did you see it when you clicked on it? Were you told to go to this show by me? Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, now you know. What are we going to cover today, Jet? Get to it. I'm a busy man, tap, tap, looking at my watch. I've got people to be and people to see. No time for pleasantries, buddy. So, uh, okay, I'll get to it. Today's episode is about, it's actually about something. So it's about uh, confrontation, but I call it conversation. It's about doing something in, it's not like, you know, when I said before, uh, go out there and do that thing you've always wanted to do with your life. It's not that. It's in practicality talking about how in my life, there's been situations where I really want to get something off my chest or I really want to talk to someone about something or I just in a social situation or professional situation want to bring something to the attention of someone and I had that little voice that uh, everyone has in their head that says, Jet, you're crazy. Why are you talking? Not that little voice, a different one that was telling me not to do it and then I did it and I felt great. So it's basically just saying those gripes, (laughs) gripes again, Last episode, I talked about gripes and uh, how my gripe was with grapes. Um, But it's about those gripes. It's about those, ugh, those things that cause you to be a passive aggressive jerk. You know, passive aggression comes from these hidden little things that you don't like about a person. And I pride myself, ask anybody who knows me if this is true. But if I have a problem with you, I just say what I mean. But I actually do that. I'll just politely tell you, hey, this this bothers me. And uh, it's done it's done. You know, even if it's kind of awkward for a second, it's like taking off the bandaid and we don't have to worry about it in the future. I go to sleep feeling okay. And you don't have to go home that night and go, how did Jet feel about me? You know, because it's right out there. And people think they like that until they hear it. But the people who are in my life right now, they get it, they like it, and they appreciate it. And that's why they come to me. So that's what today's episode's about. And then some other malarkey and some voices and some nuttiness. That episode, episode 4-4, is gonna start right You're in line, or in my case, I'm at a dentist's reception area. In this reception area, the dentist or the receptionist has put a sign on the wall clearly indicating that talking on your cell phone is not permitted. There's a woman next to me who is on her speakerphone, talking at a normal to louder volume because she's afraid the person can't hear her. We all know speakerphone is imperfect. She's holding it about five to eight inches away from her mouth in an underhand position. You've seen this a lot. It seems to have popped up, I don't know, in the last two or three years. It reminds me of back in an earlier time, I think in 2006 and earlier, where people would be on Nextel phones. Now, Nextel phones operated as a walkie-talkie, so you had no choice but to talk on it in a two-way conversation that was audible to other people. There were headsets, but they were barely used. Now, this was for a specific group of people, people who were in construction or someone who was in a loud site where, you know, one-way conversation was preferable. However, this woman in the lobby of the dentist's office is talking. And I look at her and I privately say, I don't think we're allowed to use phones in here. 
She says, excuse me, I'm sorry, she walks outside. If the receptionist had called for her, I would have gone outside and said, I think they need you. I wasn't rude, I wasn't mean. This morning at Gina's class, during her yoga Pilates, she does yoga Lotties. So in her yoga Lotties class, it starts at a certain time. I don't think I needed to tell you that. If it just started at any time, it would be hard for people to show up. So it starts and people trickle in, they're a little later, and you have to give them a break. You don't have to, I guess, but you should. You know, who knows what's going on? They got kids. That's always an excuse I like to use because it's uh, vague to me and I don't understand it because I don't have children. But something happens, they come in, they go to the back of the class, right? As to not be a distraction to the rest of the class. Well, this young lady comes in today and uh, she's probably 19 to 22. She goes over and this is a packed class. The instructor's at the front of the room near the mirrors. And I'm one of the people in the front of the room, not only because I have a massive ego, but because I've gotten good enough in my own mind, and in actuality, I mean, I'm pretty damn good, to be an example to the rest of the class. And I also just like the idea that there's a man up there because there's a peppering of men in the class, and I think it's good for them to see another man in the class. Now, I am behind Gina, so closer to the door, because the door is at the back of the room, Gina's at the mirror. I'm behind Gina by a good four or five feet. And I am at the line where the front of the class starts, right? So no one is exceeding this line because they don't want to be in the instructor's spot. That little line in front of the room that's going to indicate, okay, this is where the instructor is. Am I explaining to you how classrooms work? Like a teacher is at the front of the room. Do you understand what a front is? Anyway, so this girl, I would say it's about 25 minutes into the class, comes in, headphones in, and parks herself right next to Gina. So in front of me, I'm at the front of the class, in front of me, right parallel with Gina. This isn't the first time a nutcase has done something. Uh, In most cases, it's distracting enough for Gina to notice, and she takes care of it. But the minute I see this, I know I'm going to have to say something. There's certain people who will sit around and go, oh, my God, I have to say something. I have to say something. I have to say something. And that just bothers them. And then they'll get home. You've experienced this, and you'll be like, oh, I should have said something. I should have done something. I should have made this point. I'm not one of those people. I was, but it was when I was very young. Okay, we're going to flash back for a second. And I know that uh, you're like, Jet, last time you talked about a flu you had in 2002. I'm not going to rhyme. And you digressed quite a bit. So let me take you back to 1997. I'm at the movies with my girlfriend, Sarah. And there are people at the time who just like to talk in movies. But this guy was talking trash and just saying some stuff. And then he said to my girlfriend, Sarah, he said when she said, hey, can I have my glasses? And I had her glasses for some reason. He said something like, shut the F up. And I turned red. I was like, you know that moment where you're, I mean, I'm sure it's with men and women, but in my case, it was much more common with men where you're like, you have to say something. It's like if someone says something about your mama and worst case scenario, she's there. You have to do something. I mean, this is the time that I was brought up in. You cannot let that slide. But I was in that cusp between boyhood and manhood where I was still nervous. I've been doing martial arts for a while, but I wasn't any skilled fighter. I've been in fights, but I knew that with this guy's kind of aggression, he was kind of calling me out. So I sat there and sat there and I was stewing. Oh my God, have you done this at the movies? Someone has a text message they're sending or they're talking in front of you and you're like, should I say something? Someone else should say something. You look to the right, you look to the left. You look behind you. You roll your eyes. You guys are all in mutual agreement that someone should say something, but no one's saying something. You see something, and you don't say something. Well, I do. Now, but at that time with Sarah, it was like 20 minutes in. 
And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. Finally, they said something again. And I said to them, apologize to her. This is right when the credits had hit. So I, I knew I was going to wait till the end of the movie. And they said no. And I said, you better apologize to her right now. And then the good old adrenaline pops in, right? The same one that got it so that I could go over and talk to Rami Malik, But it kind of clouds things. So <laughs> not with Rami. I was going to punch this guy. I liked him. But, you know, you have one of those decisions to make that's a little uncomfortable, a little awkward. And there's people call it confrontation. I've had a lot of people say I'm comfortable with confrontation. I'm comfortable with those awkward conversations. I don't think that it's a natural ability. I think that it's something that I've had to confront as a kid. So I had more exposure to it. I, I don't know that, I mean, crazy egoic people might be fine with it, but I'm definitely not looking for it, but I won't stray from it. That little voice in my head that tells me to do it just has a faster response time now. So the stimulus of the event and then the response to the event is faster now because I've taught myself or I've just gotten used to it. Anyway, so I tell these guys they have to apologize for like the third time. They say no. And then finally, I just went off and I started yelling at him. And one of the guys tried to get up and I threw him in his seat. And uh, I'm like, you apologize to her. And there was a, like a group for me now in the theater. And they're like, yeah, kick his ass. Oh my God, this is the 90s, man. And I don't think this happens anymore because someone will take a picture or tweet. And the guy was trying to get violent with me. Finally, I was so aggressive. I was so angry that he apologized and we walked out. And I don't need to tell you that this is an old school story and my girlfriend was very appreciative for my standing up for her. Now I'd probably be called a sexist and there'd be parades against me. I'm just kidding. I'm not a Neanderthal. I know what's going on. I understand the reasons. But that story is just to let you know that was one of the biggest times I can remember where that feeling of you have to say something dumb dumb and the deciding to do so was at its peak. And it was a perfect moment for it too. I was like 17 or 18 years old. So I was asserting who I was and who I was going to be as a man as I go forward. So we go back to present time. We're in LA Fitness Northridge. Gina is teaching the class. And all I'm looking at is that this person is now slightly ahead of my wife who's teaching the class. Now understand this too. If it wasn't her class, I would have done the exact same thing. But I'm thinking, where's a moment where I can, this is obviously a young girl. So <laughs> what I did 24 years ago or whatever is not going to work. It wasn't even a thought. But I know I have to politely in some way tell her she can't stand there because everyone during the class is doing what everyone does. They're rolling their eyes. Can you believe that? And it's a distraction. Now that's a problem, right? I don't want Gina's class to be distracted. And I value the fact that a lot of the people there through conversations I've had, look forward to this class and they look forward to the feeling they get when they get out of it. And a lot of them, it's helped them with medical issues. So with that in mind and respecting that situation, I know I have to tell this girl what's up. I go over and during there's a little position move, we're doing some poses and there's a position move in yoga. And I go over to her and I go, hey, um, I'm sure you didn't notice, but you're not allowed to be up at the front of the class with the instructor because it'll confuse people on who's teaching the class. Thanks. And she goes, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And then she's looking around the room doing a very great theatrical performance of, where shall I go? Is there anywhere to put my mat? You just moved me, so you are responsible for where I go next. So I smile, and I say, why don't you go right here, right behind me? You're still in front of the class, blah, blah, blah. I'm doing all this very low tone, so it doesn't bother anyone. And it keeps the interruption from becoming bigger, from having this person that has never taken her class before at the front of the room in the same position as the instructor. She goes back there. Everything's cool. I smile. She smiles. It's done. 
And before that happened, I wouldn't have had my topic today. And, you know, it's not a topic. You know, we don't have a little bouncing ball going, today's topic is confrontation. It's not how it works. But I was thinking about how even as a person in my early 20s, my father would have me come in, a tough guy, a very tough guy, and do these deals with people. So he had a garage door that was being installed at his house. He felt that the guy was ripping him off. He said, Jet, can you come down here and take care of this? And I got the guy to negotiate lower and to a deal that my dad wanted. He used to have me help him buy cars when I was like 10 years old and then all the way up. And the reason I wanted to bridge this topic is because I've been on set a lot this last week, the week before. I've been talking to a lot of new people and I've had a lot of forced time with a lot of new people. It's like if you had to wait in an airport for 10 hours. Now, I don't wait at airports, so I'm just guessing. I'm trying to relate to you guys in a way that would make sense because most of you people aren't on set in a holding pattern waiting to go on uh, and do your acting performance. And in that case, you're thrown into a situation where you're with a lot of strangers, people you've never met before. But you have to pass the time. And most of us are pretty extroverted. But just like in the case of anything else, you know, you don't just start having a conversation immediately. But I talk about all that because this is something that comes up. I had that conversation with Rami. A lot of people on set started to recognize that that was who I was, the person who knew this actor. And they were impressed at how bold I could be to just go over and talk to him. And I thought, this is the same thing that happened when I did my stand-up. It's the same thing that happened when I did my first wedding that I ever spoke at when I was like my aunt. KK Catherine's wedding to Frank, my uncle. And this was in the early 90s, and I, I had to do a poem. And of course, you feel the nerves, you feel the fear, and you do it anyway. That's not my quote. But I thought about how I, I exercise that muscle a lot at a young age without even, well, obviously not knowing what the purpose of that was, right? And then I thought, well, how important is this for people to know? How important is this for people to deal with? Or is this something that they should focus on? And obviously it is yes, right? How many marriages, how many friendships, how many casual conversations, like even what happened in the yoga class today or what happened in the movie theater? It didn't become violent in the movie theater, by the way. It just, I asserted a kind of physical force that made them understand that it was not okay to yell the F word at a 17-year-old, or I guess she was like, yeah, 17-year-old girl <laughs> in a movie theater, no matter what. And so hopefully they learned that lesson. If they didn't, who cares? But I had to do what I had to do. So during Gina's class, no one would have said anything. And that skill set is something that has been developed. I think that people as a rule, and I have been this people, right? So I'm not speaking to you as if <laughs> I'm this guy who can just go over and talk to anyone at any moment and be like, excuse me, Mr. Denzel Washington, I think you're being a bit rude on set. And uh, that would be stupid. I understand how to read the situation and I know hierarchy. But how many times have you been in a situation where you're stewing? My wife does this. She has this. Not as bad because she doesn't run into as many people and she doesn't have a work environment where this would be a tension that raises a lot. But she's gotten better. I know so many people who'll be like, I felt this way for 10 years. I'm like, oh my God. This is why my godmother, who blew up at me last year, who's been passive aggressive with me for eight years, 
blew up the way she did at Gina. First off, because she would never dare do that to me because she knows the kind of person I am. She waited till Gina was alone and then she yelled at her and screamed at her about Gina, my lifestyle and who we are and how it offended her. Now we hadn't done anything wrong. She was, you know, as my grandfather described, jealous. We have a great relationship. Everyone knows we really love each other. I had, you know, recently gotten in really good shape. We're the center of attention when we go into a room. Gina, definitely not intentionally. Me, I would like to say not intentionally, but sometimes intentionally. (laughs) And she blew up. So she was just this powder keg hating us for all the things we do, all all the attention we got, all the generosity that Gina would bestow on the family and the credit she'd get for that. And, uh, She just made a year and a half of misery for a lot of people in my family and my mother. And I thought, why is that? And I think it all goes down to what's happening in you when you have that feeling. Someone says something to you, your sister, your brother, your husband, your wife, your boss, and it offends you. And it's appropriate to be offended. I'm not talking about something that offends you and you know it's inappropriate to be offended. If you're offended at a joke that's not offensive and you decide to take offense, and I know offense is going to be something that's relative, right? But let's just say it's completely benign and you know it and decide to take offense because you want a confrontation. That's not the case. But I'm talking about something where someone's really stepping on your sensitivities. Let's say it's not their fault, right? Let's put this in a perfect situation. So it's someone that said something or done something that's really hurt your feelings. They did not do it intentionally. So it's not like someone who comes over to me and says, hey, Jet, you crooked-nosed, fatty, fat, fat. You're a fatty, fat, fat. That would be appropriate for me to be offended. That was out of line, and that doesn't make sense, right? So this is not that situation. This is something where someone steps on your sensitivities and you need to tell them. In the case of my godmother, if I had been in her shoes, and I have, and this is where I have sympathy for her, she should have talked to me about how she felt nine years ago and said, you know, and I don't even know what it is, but she should have said, this thing that you do and your wife bothers me. And I would have been like, well, okay. And I would have deemed its appropriateness and then we would have had a conversation. Instead, she sat on it for this long and it became an issue. So my intention was not to talk about this example, okay? But in your case, someone in your life says something or does something and you're sad or mad or whatever. And you sit on it and then there's resentments and this leads to divorce or it leads to a broken friendship or it leads to a fight or worse confrontation is a tricky thing. I don't like the idea of it being deemed that. I don't like the idea of it being called that. I think it's conversation. Ooh, Jed, that sounds like a book on tape. That's not, my wife's going to hate that. That sounds, not confrontation, people. Let's go for conversation. I sound like a jerk, but it's true. I think that if you feel something and it's strong enough, and this is a person who you interact with on a regular basis, you are entitled to say something, right? Someone cuts you off in line. Hey, I was standing here. You know, I I don't appreciate you doing that. Maybe you didn't see me. You know, you can play the how to win friends and influence people, you know, Carnegie thing, right? So I think it's important to get that off your chest because I've seen what this does to the spirit when it festers. When you have, you know, death by a thousand cuts, right? When you've been hurt so many times, bullied so many times, you know, it's okay to tell people where you're coming from. When I walk into an Apple store and I have a problem with my phone, I go, listen, I know a lot about technology. I worked in the first three releases of the iPhone. So just so you know, before we start talking, I am highly educated in this realm. So that bypasses my frustration. I'm kind of taking care of the frustration I know I'll have, right? So I'm saying, here's where I am. Now I've given you the luxury of treating me at that level. 
So I won't snap at you for going, in the case of the Apple employee, and telling me, have you tried turning the phone off and on? And I usually use that as an example. I say, don't tell me to turn the phone off and on because off and on. Don't tell me to turn the phone off and on because I know that already. I don't know who that was, but sometimes I become different people <laughs> at night on a full moon. Ah, as long as it's not Jared Leto, I'm okay. But I think that that's something that a lot of people I meet need to work on. You know? What's that saying? Most dreams or something die in quiet desperation. I'm usually good at the gist of things. but the I mean, you've heard this before. I use the worst words. But I think it's, you know, people live a life of quiet desperation, right? So I think that has to do with this perceived confrontation in the sense that uh, it's okay for you to say something. Am I talking about a yoga class? Is that what it is? I've been blabbing on for a very long time here. And all I'm trying to tell you is that if someone stands at the head of the room in a yoga class, it's okay for you to say something. Yeah. I digress because I don't want this to be a lecture. And the only reason it seems lecturous <laughs> is because I see it so much. The people I've met over the last couple of weeks it was kind of a litmus test. What's going on? And what they might find impressive about me is something I take for granted. One of the reasons I do this, like the example of the Apple employee, is to keep myself from having unneeded anxiety, unneeded stress. I sent a giant email to my family last year when this confrontation went on to tell them exactly what I felt. And that diminished it. Instead of this being a feud that lasted 150 years and tore our family apart, which it very well could have, this is from the word of people who are involved, that's not just me. Egoically, of course, I would have wanted that to happen because I wanted the maximum impact, but this is what people have told me. Instead of hurting the family, of course, I squashed this thing and everything's fine now. And I took the brunt of it and apologized, even though maybe I wasn't the one who should have done it. But I completely forgave her because my grandfather gave me that lesson. I mentioned it before. The fact that I went out and wrote this email and told people where I was made it so I could sleep. So I hated the fact that the thing happened, but I felt okay because I didn't feel like I hadn't gotten my point across. Oh, I should mention too, after this person did that, I went over and I told her exactly how I felt about that and exactly how I felt about how she's been over the last eight years because you're not going to be able to do that to my wife or myself and not have me tell you my opinion. Now, I'm not saying go out there and look for fights, right? You guys are smart enough to understand that what I am telling you is that don't let that stuff just fester. And it also comes down to non-confrontations with people. Going up and doing the stand-up comedy in my life was one of those things. It was something that plagued me every night. I wanted to tell people I was a professional comedian, but I didn't feel it was justified because how can I say that if it's not something I'm practicing? I didn't tell anyone I was a professional actor until I got into the Screen Actors Guild because I didn't think I was. That has nothing to do with family feuds or <laughs> family feud. I just do that voice because I've never watched it. But uh, it doesn't have anything to do with that. You know, these aren't squabbles. These are things that we also sit on in our life because of these fears. And I try and take inventory of those on a regular basis. And you're thinking, take inventory. If you've ever been around anyone who's gone to Alcoholics Anonymous, that sounds like that. I went twice or three times. So it's not from there, but I think it's a good part of what they do take a moral inventory is what they talk about. I think this is important in a yearly, weekly, monthly, boy, I went in the, a weird direction with the timeline on that. I always do that. I'll say like, maybe it'll take you a year, or maybe a day, maybe a month. I'm kind of scattershot on that. Maybe it's dyslexia. But I think it's important since I journal, I probably do this on a regular basis. And because I'm a person who overanalyzes everything, I probably do it a lot. 
but uh, I probably do it a lot. I'm going into my Christopher Walken. Okay, here it is. I do this to make sure I'm not being mean to the people in my life because of something that's internally stewing in me, right? <laughs> of course, I pictured a real stew because I'm an idiot. And whenever I use, uh, what is it? Facsimiles, similes, analogies, all those Gs. Whenever I use those, I actually picture the thing. Like that episode where I said my tail tucked between my legs when I went into central casting. I actually picture the color of my tail. I picture me physically walking in the room in that split second before I say the next statement. I've painted this amazing mental movie of all this stuff. And that's another reason that I need to get this stuff off my chest because the same guy who's able to picture that mental movie of him with a tail or stew stewing in his chest, because I have that imagination, I can blow things out of proportion. So as long as I've said my piece, then I don't need to focus on this constantly because my portion is over. And that's really important. The ending of something, the putting a cap on something, you know? And this episode was going to be about something that is totally different, which was going to be called Jet Goes to Jail, like Ernest Goes to Jail, because I kind of look like Ernest. Remember Ernest? Hey, Vern, that guy Ernest from the 80s and 90s. Um, I don't know why I paused. Oh, I know why, because I was picturing Ernest movies. I used to see them on at my friend Clinton Brandon's house. They were our next door neighbors. This is not a type of movie that my parents would condone because again they were how do i put it a little higher brow is that judgmental um it's not the kind of comedy they didn't even want me to watch the simpsons at first my mom was very strict about making sure our language is proper and all that stuff and uh clearly that has had a massive impact on me but it was good so we didn't watch this kind of movie and we'd see it in the background at our friend's house during the summer they'd always have a movie playing on vhs anyway why am i talking about Ernest? Jet W. Dunlap, what is going on with your mind? Anyway, so I was in jail this week, okay? So topic two of this episode was the show that I'm doing, and I can't say the name again because I think I've been giving away, I haven't given anything away, obviously, but I've been telling you what I'm doing, and maybe I shouldn't even do that. But the movie that I'm shooting right now, and if you want to know what movie that is, go back in your cassette, turn it to side A, and use another cassette. Obviously, I didn't know what I was saying there. Anyway, so... The movie I'm doing took place at a jail, at Twin Towers Jail in L.A., L.A. County Jail, the biggest one. I was not excited about this. <laughs> I didn't want to go to a jail. It's an active jail. We were in a room that the day before and the night before or whatever was for intake on visitors. And uh, it was spooky, man. There's an energy of that place. But we were there the whole day, and I got to talk to a lot of people in a trapped audience. Got to talk to them about how they got into background, what they did. One of the interesting things about background actors is that, like me, especially when it's a, what we call a small call, which means that there's a very few of us. There's a very few of us. There's another too many. You hear how many people exist in my head that sometimes come forward. Um, I'm at this jail, and I have a trapped audience, and I'm talking to them. And what I was saying was that because it's a small call, just meaning there was less people there than normal. That's where I was going. Uh, maybe 10 people. I had, a, I had an audience of about eight people. I'm just kind of doing my stand-up thing. I naturally fall into a pattern where people surround me and I just start talking. I say that as if that's a normal thing, but if you ever met me, that ends up happening. A lot of my friends, it takes me years to figure it out, but they're tremendously boring. And the only reason I'm friends with them is because they like listening and laughing at me. And then one day I'll think like, wait a second. I don't think I've ever heard that person talk. But Chris, my closest friend, would tell you that this is how I was in high school. I sat on this bench, 
And all I did was talk trash about people walking by and the bench just collected more and more people where eventually it was just this massive group of people who were waiting for me to talk trash and waiting for me to do my little joke thing. So this is something that's been in my life for a long time. Anyway, it's interesting to talk to these people because acting or anything in the entertainment industry, the arts or other businesses that are just out of my purview is that it's not linear, right? So I was the third to be picked when The Flash was cast. So a group of 5,000 people, group of 500 people, group of 20 people, group of five people. I'm called back to the bottom three. And so at this point, I'm like, wow, I'm about to get a giant contract. Everything's going to change. They didn't pick me, right? And I have a lot of stories like this working on the set of friends. None of that is equity. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're at a job and you become a regional manager like I did at AT AT&T, then I go over to Verizon and I have that position. Well, there's equity in that. So I can say, hey, I've done this before. If you're almost a superhero, that is meaningless in this industry. So the people on set have a lot of stories where they starred in this movie, believe it or not, or they were second lead or they were married to this person or they worked on an incredible film and they tell you these incredible stories if you have the right people. And it's fascinating because everyone there has decided to come back and do something that's a little more basic. (laughs) low on the call sheet as we think of it maybe a couple of lines or uh no lines in the in the movie and the reason they do it is a myriad of (laughs) i don't want to say reasons again (laughs) the reason they do it is a lot of reasons chris coy when we were in uh the mountains he said uh, he said what did he say i want to quote him directly okay i remember he said that was weird you know like it was really weird (laughs) in in succession (laughs) And I thought it was so funny that he used weird to describe weird, but I just did the same thing. So in any event, these people have these stories and, uh, and I was going to tell you about how, you know, in the casting of this, this Marvel thing, and then, and then you're nothing and you go back. One of the lessons in it is that it keeps you humble, even if you don't want to be humble. I see people who try and keep the attitude. And of course you can imagine it. People who still feel like they're divas, even though, and male divas, which, oh, are those divos? Are male divas devos? Is that what Devo was trying to say forever? Yes, clearly that's it. You're such a Devo. I'm a bit of a Devo myself. Don't forget that. Jet came up with it. Mark it in your calendars. Male divas are Devos. And male ballerinas are ballerinos. It's another thing I came up with in ballet. And there might actually be a group that you know has that name. But it was my idea. It was my idea first. I came up with it. So it's an interesting exercise to kind of do. But anyway, I'm in jail. <laughs> I'm not in jail. I'm working at the jail. I'm talking to these people about their experiences. I got a little audience going. And I got a little stew going in my tummy. (laughs) Because I'm stewing on something. Do you see how a thing starts a certain way? And then this is the problem with me recording the show in my house. I have this beautiful view of the yard. And I'm... I'm watching. Remember how in the last episode I talked about that weather vane thing that I have that spins around? It's solar powered and it tells me the exact wind speed. It's not even on. It's not even communicating with the thing that tells me that. But I've been watching it spin the entire time I've been doing this episode. This episode has to be called, I don't know, wind. Yeah, that's it, Jet. You nailed it. It'll be called wind. So let's recap, okay, folks? Here's the lessons and let's break it down for you, okay? Here's the deal. Let's make sure you understand. At the beginning of this episode, I'm talking about confrontation. Now, I don't want to call it confrontation. I want to call it 
conversation. Now, sometimes that conversation is going to be with yourself, and that's fine. You need that. If it's confrontation, you may be afraid of. A lot of people are afraid of confrontation. But you need to have that conversation maybe with someone else and then with yourself. That's first. That's the first part. Second part, I don't know what that was. It kind of got unhinged. There was something about me being in jail, shooting the movie, and then I was talking about how I had an audience of people who were listening to me. And that didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense either. And then I kind of meandered around a point about me watching a weather vane because I'm a dodo brain. So they can't all be winners, can they? And the sad thing is, I've said this at the end of the show probably 55 times. 55 times. Now I'm going into my Carl Marone. Carl Marone, don't trust the bank. So I put all the money into sock. So uh, clearly I'm off the hinges. Uh, as usual, I'm out of words. And I don't want to keep destroying your time with my malarkey. Do you know how much I fear my wife's opinion of this show when I do one of these? When I'm not sure how it's going to go, I am so afraid she's going to yell. She doesn't yell at me. <laughs> she doesn't yell at me i said i'm afraid of her yelling at me she's probably never yelled at me i'm afraid of her going this is what gina does okay and uh, you gleam something from this show you are amazing so that's that's what it is i'm testing your ability to gleam some kind of concept from this show because you are a powerful genius and a stable genius as we know that is a person who knows a lot about horses houses stable genius as in horse stable gina will say two things about my episode. Gina will say two things about anything. I lost 55 pounds. Today I went to a Weight Watchers meeting, right? I'm still hum- humble enough to go to a Weight Watchers meeting. Do you know that I couldn't say humble because I don't even know how it's said because I am not humble. So I'm like, so I went to a Weight Watchers meeting today and then I went to the gym. Anyway, when I lost all this weight and I got in really good shape, I'm like, Gina, don't I look good? Don't I look good? I'm sure most husbands do this. Don't I look good? Or maybe most wives do this. I do go into feminine mode quite a bit. And I'm like, don't I look good? Don't I look good? She goes, uh-huh. Yeah. But when I was a fat, fatty, fat, fat, and you have to understand she was a little more judgmental back then because she cares about me and this is her way of doing it. Look at how I'm justifying her. She is obviously the worst person in the world, right? You get that. She has a gun to my head right now. She would be honest about how I was when I was in bad shape. She was worried that, you know, I was I was having health issues too, but she was much more brutal. But when I get in shape, she's like, yeah, yeah, you look good. And then when I hear, here's here's the point of the whole story, right? When she likes a show, this is how she likes the show. I listen to your show. Okay. How was it? It was good. What'd you like about it? I don't know. That is a glowing review. Do you understand? That's like, you can't do better than that in the, your Gina's husband, which is a party of one, unless she has a secret family. And if she does, she really spends far too little time with them. And I feel guilty. But uh, how would she have snuck a pregnancy, Jet? How would, how would you have a secret family? How would you have not noticed that? You've been with her almost every day for 15 years. Well, let's just say she pulled the wool over my eyes. And now, of course, I'm picturing a sheep being pulled in front of my eyes because I'm an idiot. This is how I know whether or not the show is good. If she says, yeah, yeah, the show is good. If she doesn't like it. Here we go. You ready for this? If she doesn't like it, she goes, <sighs> oh, no, it's even worse than that. She goes, I listen to the show. I'll ask her, did you listen to the show? Yeah, I listen to the show. Nothing, nothing but crickets that she keeps in her pocket. She keeps crickets in her pocket just so they play. She gives them a little pat. They cricket, 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 cricket. And so she knows that there's silence, right? She's very dramatic and theatrical and likes to use props. And uh, then I say, so you listen to it. What did you think? She goes, ah, literally just like that. Ah, and I, and she just lets it linger. Listen to the power this woman has. Ah. And uh, so what's, ah, Gina, you know, 
It's not my favorite. Boom. That's a one-two punch, dude. You know that. Guy and guyettes, you know that feeling. Not my favorite. And then this is a weird insult, right? And I don't even know if it's an insult. Again, I give her too much credit because I like her so much. But uh, she goes, it just seemed a little, well, I like the other ones. (laughs) So, wow, what a just weird episode. I hope you gleam some stuff. You know I'm a nut. It's called psychotherapy. That is a warning. Like on the prescription bottle, it says may cause drowsiness. Well, this episode may cause drowsiness. So thank you for listening. I'll try and do better on the next one. And uh, you are my special friend. And I am out of words. Good night and good duck.